You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Church, good morning. I don't know about you, but who's ready to run through a wall right now? Right? Those on the front row, you better be ready. I might feel like a fight here in a second. My name is Brett Cadwell. I'm the executive pastor here at Kingsway, and I am so pumped to be able to be here with you today, whether you're in the room. Uh, I love seeing all your smiling faces, whether you're joining us online. The, you know, the heart of this series, and, and you know, we, we pick a few books throughout the course of a year, and God kind of leads the way in that. And uh, it was about a year ago, I was in my barn doing some renovations, and it was in the middle of the quarantine. We were working from home. And I listened to this book uh, on, on Audible in my headphones, and, and God just wrecked my heart, and I brought it to Matt. And so all of that said, about a year later, we're walking through this, and we have heard from our church that God is doing incredible things. You know, we, we bought 200 books, and they're gone, and so we bought 50 more, and so that's what's for, out there today for you guys to grab, and I would highly encourage you to grab this book and to read it. We're gonna walk through some of the content over, you know, like Matt did last week and today and the next three weeks, but there is so much more in here. Louis does an incredible job. Louis is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a pastor down south, and so we, we share that southern accent, you know, and uh, I don't know where mine comes from, but, uh, and, but Louis is an incredible man of God, and I love his transparency in the book. You know, he talks a lot about, you know, his Goliaths, his giants, these Goliaths in his life, that must fall, and that transparency comes through to the reader, and it helps us see how we can find those giants in our lives, big and small, and really put them to death, and how they must fall, but here's the thing that, we, that he talks about in the book, and it's, it's what we're going to walk through some today, is that even when those giants are put to death, they have an incredible way of just coming and keep creeping up in our lives. And so I truly believe that God has something very, very special for you today. This is just, you know, all around, where, you know, Matt and I are, are backstage praying for this morning, and it just feels like God is up to something. And so I, I, the Holy Spirit is invited here. I hope he speaks to you in whatever way he, he is going to through his word. And so we're going to jump in today and see this, this whole book is foundationally built upon the story of David and Goliath. Matt started walking through, you know, and we're going to repeat some things. You're going to see some verses on the screen this week that you saw last week. That's not normal, but you know, we're, we're looking at every, every one of these weeks, we're looking at it with a different perspective and a different lens, right? And so, but it's all foundationally built upon the story of David and Goliath. And I know I say every, every verse that I read is my favorite one, but this, if you ask my kids, this truly is my favorite story in the Bible. And here's why it's the Cinderella story, right? It's the story of the underdog. It's the story that's been taken by coaches for a century, right, of, you know, leading a sports team into battle. It's, you know, it, it's this typical, uh, unbelievable story of this boy who has no business fighting a giant, a giant who is battle ready, who has trained for this his whole life. I love in the book, we read that, that, you know, Goliath came from the town of Gath, which actually was known to produce giants like this. He tells a story of there's a giant that has six fingers on every hand and six toes on every foot, that's just terrifying, okay? Uh, Goliath is terrifying enough, right? And so you see you've got this, this little boy that has no, no business being in this fight. But I love the twist that Louis puts on it in the book. You know, oftentimes we read a story like this in the Bible and we insert ourselves directly into the role of the hero, right? We picture ourselves as David, 
with the stones, going, against, going up against whatever our giant is, right? But that's not, Louis believes, that's not, that's not what the story really means. That's not what God meant for us to get from that story. No, Jesus was David. Jesus fought your giant already. Jesus already went to battle for you. And so we're gonna dive into a giant today that I think impacts every one of your lives. And I, I just smile when I think back that Matt asked me to preach this message because God's been working on this giant in my life for a really long time. And it's the giant of rejection. It's the giant of rejection. I wanna take you back. It was 1996. I was a baby-faced seventh grade boy at Avon Middle School. And now it's Avon Intermediate School East. And uh, it was February of 1996. And there, my heart had been fluttering for a girl. Let's just call her Clara today to protect her innocence, okay? Uh, But my heart had been fluttering. It's a seventh grade relationship that was blossoming in all of its awkwardness and uniqueness. And there was a sweetheart dance on the calendar, February 14th, happening in the gym. And so we walk into the gym that day, and it's your typical scene that you would see in, in every movie that has portrayed this event, right? You've got the music playing, the, the streamers are up, the lights are you know, on on the dance floor, and you've got no one dancing. You've got the girls on this side and the guys on this side, and you've got some guys in the back that are too cool for school, and I, that's probably where you could have found me. But I had this plan in my head that at some point in the night, I was going to let Clara know how I felt, right? And so my buddy runs up to me and he says, Brett, 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 you, you know you can make requests to the DJ and he'll play whatever song you want? And the light bulb goes on. I'm like, yes, that is exactly. So we had been, you know, dancing to some songs, you know, take you back a little bit, maybe a little pump up the jam or vanilla ice, MC Hammer, Crisscross, there's probably a kid there with his, his clothes backwards. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go Google it, okay? And so, but you know, maybe slowing it down at some point in the night with some Brian Adams. And so we get to this, the, <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, so we get to this moment in the evening and it's, you know, it's that picturesque moment where the lights come down and my request comes on and it's me and Clara in the middle of the gym. It's, it probably actually was nothing like this, but this is how I remember it, okay? <laughs> and so I, I, my request was boys to men on bended knee. I mean, what was I thinking? <laughs> and so I hit one knee and I professed to Clara that, hey, will you go out with me? Which is like, what, what do we do? Where are we going, right? I mean, we're only going where our mom and dad take us, right? And so... <laughs> But, and in this moment, you know, it, it, what followed did not go how I had planned. It was followed with a pause. Let's call it a pregnant pause. And then Clara runs out of the gym with, his girl, or with her girlfriends behind her. And uh, lo and behold, Clara didn't feel the same way about me that I felt about her, right? And obviously this is a funny story, but, but for the first time in my life, I felt what rejection felt like. Rejection. Now this, you know, this story is, you know, simple and it, it, it's back in my childhood and really like, Brett, did that moment in your life really set you on this trajectory of rejection? No, 
but it hurt, right? I mean, I felt, you know, I'm standing there all alone on the, on the dance floor trying to put on a tough face. Like, nah, I knew, I knew that's what she was gonna say anyway, you know? But deep inside my, my heart, it, it, I'm, it's, hurt, it's hurtful. I felt some, a way for someone that did not reciprocate those same feelings, right? And so I knew that I didn't wanna feel that again. And I love the way that Louis talks about this in the book. I've got a quote here. It says this, rejection is real. None of us want to feel like we aren't good enough or smart enough or wanted enough. Nobody wants to be left out or looked over. We may put on an exterior that says we don't need anyone else's approval, but even in saying that, aren't we kind of admitting that we do? As much as we wish it wasn't so, the opinions of others matter. A word of rejection, even something small that wasn't even aimed to really hurt us, can stick and sting. For some of you, the fact that you actually were rejected is a constant companion. And I believe that's true in this room today. It's like a cold wind that follows you wherever you go. Some form of rejection in the past has festered with time and riddled you with insecurity, insignificance, and a sense of abandonment. We're getting real really fast, right? And, and for some of you listening, you've felt that rejection for most of you. No one is really immune to rejection, right? For some of you that are salesmen in the room, it's probably something that you feel four times before lunch, right? You're used to it, but it still doesn't take away the hurt and the pain and how that impacts us. For others, maybe it was a breakup. Maybe it was a harsh word or a relationship that ended very quickly. A harsh word spoken by someone that you loved, that you thought cared for you, but all of a sudden things just took a turn that you weren't expecting. Maybe for some of you, 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 you're playing this back in your childhood when you were told that you weren't good enough or you weren't pretty enough or you weren't smart enough. Maybe you were passed over for that promotion at work and you felt like it was unjustified or you were cut from the team. But for others of you in the room that I trust, I, I imagine that, that rejection may be a foundation that you feel like your life was built upon. If you have experienced the foster care system or been orphaned as a child, maybe your parents were divorced and you still carry the weight that you feel like somehow that was your fault, something that happened even decades ago, that rejection can still be what Louis calls that constant companion. Some of you may just feel rejected by God. I can't tell you how many times we hear People just deathly afraid just to walk into the doors of a church because of the rejection they feel, because of something they've done in the past, some mistake they've made, some sin they've committed. For some of you in this room, maybe you're afraid to walk in here today. And I wish you could hear the conversations and the meetings and the, all the things that we talk about as a staff and volunteer team around here that we do to try to take away any hint of that rejection that you may feel when you walk in the doors. It's why we're coaching and loving on our volunteers to say it is vital that our people, when they walk in the door, see a warm and welcoming face. If you're a member of Kingsway, it is vital that you get up out of your, get up out of your seat and welcome people when they come into the church building. Because we never know if it's the first time and hopefully not the last time. But if they meet a cold Jesus or a cold church, it may be the last time. So that's, what, that's why we talk about that. And maybe for others, it's, it's rejection in another way. I know for me, 
I, I, I played baseball growing up in high school and we, I played at Avon and we played, used to play back behind like White Oak Elementary, back by the, the train tracks. And my brother was three years older than me and he was a fantastic baseball player. He was a catcher. I swore he could have gone pro. He's probably mad at me for even saying that, but he, he really could have. He smashed home runs. He used to put home runs on top of White Oak Elementary. My dad would have to go with the custodian up, up on the roof and get the, get the balls off the roof. I hit one home run in my whole life. I was more of a speed guy is like what I like to tell myself. I like to steal the bases and I'll let somebody else hit the home runs. And you know, my brother graduated and I played three years of varsity baseball and I can still, and I love my baseball coach, but I can still hear him yelling in my face, little Cadwell, why can't you be more like your brother? Man, I can tell you with a place where he said it. That was no fault of my brother. And honestly, I think my coach was just trying to make me a better player, but man, that stung. Those words, that was literally something that I couldn't do anything about. And when we turn to scripture, we see rejection started very, very early on in the Bible story. It started in Genesis three, honestly. So God creates Adam, and then Adam recognizes that he needs a helper, and so God creates Eve, right? And Adam and Eve are walking through the, the, fort, the, the, you know, the jungle there, and, and he sees, you know, they meet, Eve meets Satan, the antagonist, the schemer of all time, right? And even from the very beginning, Satan puts this thought in Eve's mind that what God promised them is not enough. It's not good enough. You're gonna eat from all these trees, but don't eat from this one. But everything about them wanted to eat from that one tree. Why would God hold something from me? And that, that seed of rejection starts. And so we fast forward to 1 Samuel where we get to the story of David and Goliath. You know, what's beautiful about this story is that we actually see David walk through this giant of rejection three different times, and we're gonna point it out to you today. We're gonna walk through it today. It's right there in our text, but I wanna set this passage up a little bit, okay? So we see that David's father is Jesse, and Jesse asked David to go to the front lines where the Israel army is fighting the Philistines. He says, take some cheese and some roasted grain and some bread to your brothers on the, on the front lines. I wanna report of how they're doing. So David arrives and he hears about this giant that had been torturing the Philistines for weeks now, 40 days and 40 nights, coming out every day and telling them that how, how worthless they are and how cowardly they are. And David quickly recognizes the fear in the eyes of the Israelite army, right? He hears the trembling in their voices. And you see it in 1 Samuel 17, it says this, but when David's brother Eliab Heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your, your deceit. You just wanna see the battle. See, this is the first time that David recognizes and is rejected. All he's doing is he, he's asking, you know, this leap, right before this, he asked the question. He's just like, what's the reward if somebody goes and fights, fights Goliath? And this is his brothers, his oldest brothers, response. You see, he, essentially, Eliab is saying, give me the cheese and go back home to your daddy and do what you're supposed to do. And Louis makes this point in the book, and I, I think it's beautiful. You see, Eliab had an opportunity to be an encourager, to be an older brother, to, be, to speak life into David, but he does the exact opposite. He just cuts him off at the knees. But you have to know the whole story. 
if we go back just one chapter in chapter 16, we see that Jesse's, Jesse's family is told by Samuel that somebody from his family is going to be king. And so everyone assumes that it's alive. He's the oldest, he's the best looking, he's the, he's the tallest, he just looks, has the look of a king. It says in verse six, surely this is Lord's anointed, talking about alive. And then we get to verse seven and it says this, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. It's God talking about alive. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, this is the first lesson that we get from this story. And I think it's really, really important that you grasp this today. See, what this shows us is that rejected people reject people. You know, we say, I think Matt said it here before, hurt people hurt people. Rejection is really just the cousin of hurt, right? And so you see, Eliab is rejected and he turns to his brother and he takes out that same rejection on his brother. It was no fault of David that he was chosen to be king. But Eliab takes, him, takes it out on him. Then David goes to King Saul. 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 33 is, says, this is David talking, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. I love his confidence. But what Saul say? Don't be ridiculous, Saul replies. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. You'd think by now that David was starting to get the point, right? He goes to his brother, rejection. Goes to the king, rejection. And this is a king, like Matt talked about last week, that it should have been him fighting him, but because he was a coward or because he thought he was too important, he was looking for someone else, willing to not, that person to not pay taxes for the rest of their life. And he has the solution right in front of him. And what does he say? You're only a boy. It'll never happen. It's not you. And so then we go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. Starting in verse 40, it says, this is David. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them in his shepherd's bag and then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walks out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yells. And so I get it from his brother. I had an older brother, right? I mean, that's kind of, you know, what we do. We can, you know, put each other in our place, right? But then it comes from the king, the king who desperately needed a solution. But then it comes from his competitor, and Goliath holds no punches, right? He calls him a ruddy-faced little boy, which basically just means a baby-faced boy, a, a, a boy that had not grown into manhood. And then Goliath tells him where he's headed. You know, basically, the buzzards and the wolves are gonna eat your flesh later. They'll clean it all up after I'm done with you. We see this rejection coming at every turn. And as we walk through this, you may have noticed that we skipped some verses. And I did that intentionally because I wanna go back and I wanna look at how David re reacts to every time that he, 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 he comes in face with, of that rejection. I, wanna, I want you to see what he says, okay? And so Eliab says, David, you're so full of pride and deceit. Just go home. What's David's response? We see it in verse 29. David actually kind of gets mad. He says, 
What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. As if like, why are you coming at me? Like, I'm just, I'm, I was literally, I mean, at that point, David wasn't even saying he was gonna fight him. He just wanted to know what the reward was, right? That's just the first one. Then he goes to Saul. And Saul looks at him and says, you're just a baby, David. And in, th- in verse 34, it says, but David persisted. Key word, persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Let's go. Sounds like fun. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from from this Philistine. And you're beginning to see the heart of David. You're beginning to see glimpses of the foundation of David's life. Where, where his confidence comes from. And then we go to verse 45. This is right after Goliath spouts off at him and this is David's reply. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. As if there was a question, there isn't one now, right? And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole, world will, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. It's right there in the text. David knew exactly who his Lord was. He knew exactly what his Lord was capable of. And most importantly, David knew whose he was. Ultimately, David knew that even though he was rejected by all of those around him, he was not rejected by God. No, no, no. And some of you need to hear that today. Not only was he not rejected, but he was accepted. Acceptance that breeds confidence. And David is dripping with that confidence as he enters into that battle with Goliath. His brother mouths off, cool, Eliab, I'll go talk to somebody else. Saul doubts this little boy, and David lets him know. You know, Saul even tries to put on his armor, and David's like, that's not me, that's not who I am. I don't fight like that. Then Goliath, standing tall, mouths off and tells David where he's going, and I love how David turns it on him, right? Because remember, Goliath told him, I'm gonna feed you to the birds and the wild animals, and David's like, no, 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 no. Actually, I'm gonna cut off your head and then I'm not only gonna feed you to the birds and the wild animals, I'm gonna feed all your men up there too. Right? Where's that confidence? Is David just prideful? Or does he have confidence in someone other than himself, beyond himself? A confidence that's rooted not in himself or his ability. Instead, it's rooted in a God that showed up time and time and time again, even in this young man's life. And he was more than confident that God was gonna show up again. Is that how you respond in the face of rejection? I had to ask myself this question. Do I respond in confidence of my God or do I respond when I I receive rejection, do I respond with rejection? Do I get defensive? Do I make excuses? Do I consistently repay rejection with rejection Will I do anything for the approval of others 
or will I stop at nothing for the acceptance of others? Louis Giglio says this, and th these words leapt off the page. He says, if we live for people's approval, we will die by their rejection. This one hit me right in the heart. Because if there's anything I've learned in my 38 years here on life is that you can't count on people's approval. Ask any professional athlete. You know, they win a game, you're, <laughs> you're a hero until your next loss, right? People's approval come and go. And I wanna look today at four principles that we pick up from the book. Louis walks through these in the book and I, and I, want to, I wanna walk through these and I want to start to apply them to our life, okay? And the first one is this, that we are created. We have to understand that God created us. He created us in his image. He is perfect and he created us in his perfect and God-bearing image. And we must understand truly the miracle of that creation. Psalms 139 says this, for you were created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. I was reading Psalm 139 to my kids about two weeks ago. I just talked to my men's group about how sometimes we make it way too hard to be a godly father. You just need to spend time in the word and then go and take that to your kids and teach them what God taught you. And so I just read Psalm 139 that morning. I was putting my boys to bed. I have an 11 year old and a six year old. And I read this to him and I said, hey, just, I'm gonna read all Psalm 139, several verses there. I just want you to listen and tell me one thing that you pick out. I was expecting something from the 11 year old. The six year old I thought might be asleep by the end of it. And, uh, but I get to the end and my six-year-old Cashin, he says, dad, did it say that he knows me before I was even in mommy's belly? And I was like, yes, son, that's exactly what it says. And that's exactly what God wants you to understand. That you are created by him. And Louis makes this point in the book and it's beautiful. God doesn't make mistakes. The word rejection has some roots going back to even like factory language. You got you know, an assembly line and you got somebody making sure that everything coming off the assembly line is good and it's, okay, good, pass, check, 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 nope, something's wrong and it's rejected. But that's not how God works. Not in God's economy. God doesn't make mistakes. And he, doesn't, he didn't make a mistake with you and he didn't make a mistake with me, even though there's a lot of days when you wake up and, and the devil may be telling you that or you may be convincing yourself of that but there's no rejects, his track record is perfect. David understood that he was created by a creator for a, design, for a divine and design purpose, and so are you. So we're created, and secondly, we must realize that we are chosen. We're created and then we're chosen. Ephesians 1, 4 says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before he even created you or anything else in this world, he chose you. More specifically, we must revel in that mystery that Jesus chose us. Because sometimes that's hard for me to get my head around. Why? Sit in that for a minute. You are chosen. You are accepted by a God, a perfect and loving God. 
And no amount of the world's rejection can ever take that from him, from you. He didn't have to. He didn't have to choose you, but he did. You are chosen. And if you found yourself abandoned or fostered as a child, this is maybe a well-known feeling for you. And I pray that you hear the words of Ephesians like you've never heard them. God chose you. Please revel in that today. He created you. He chose you. And then it's super, super important in this process that we grasp the cost. We grasp what it cost him to rescue us. Once we understand who our creator is and how we're created by him, once we understand that he made the choice to choose us, then we must understand the cost. You must truly understand the cost of that rescue. And he had the plan ready, and it is the gospel. Louis says this in the book, the gospel isn't a church talk. It's not just a good sermon. It tells every human what we need to know in the deepest part of our souls, that we have enormous worth to God. Faced with life without us, his choice was to allow his son to die for us. That's how he recovered us and rescued us. God paid an enormous price for you. What was that price? You are worth Jesus to God. You are worth God's one and only son who died on that cross for you. And we must fully grasp that. He sent his son. We just celebrated it two weeks ago to a cross, to die a gruesome death because he loves you that much. If you walked into this church today and maybe you have, you have no idea really what I'm talking about. You don't even, maybe you've heard about the cross but you don't know necessarily what it means. I mean, the gospel is what the foundation of, our, of, of what we do around here lies upon, right? That God loved us so much that he sent his son this is basic, but it's so easy to forget, especially in the face of rejection, when the giant of rejection has us in his grasp. It's so easy to forget the love that God has. And so we must understand that we're created. We must understand that we were chosen. And we must understand the cost. And then we must do this. If you don't get anything else today, hear me say this. That we must live from our acceptance, not for it. And when we begin to understand the miracle of our creation and we realize that we're chosen and we understand the cost and we understand the power of the gospel in our lives, that giant of rejection falls when we admit the need of acceptance from Jesus and we stop every day fighting for that acceptance from everyone else in our world. We see this play out in Matthew, and this is just beautiful. And it, and it blows my mind that this has been in scripture my whole life, and I just, I just saw it, and Louis does an incredible job of bringing this to light. Matthew 3, 16 and 17, Jesus is, is, is going to be baptized by John the Baptist. And it says this in, in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of that water. And at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. 
And I love this point. What does God say? God says, I love him. God says, I am pleased with him. In my words, God is saying, I am so proud of him. And guess what? Jesus hadn't even given a message. He hadn't called one disciple. He hadn't performed one miracle. He had done, honestly, very little up to that point. His ministry hadn't even started except get to know his father, put his nose in the books, and understand and prepare himself for ministry. But God looks at him and says, you are so good. With you, I am so pleased, and you have not done anything for me. Some of y'all need to let that sink in today. And here's what's so fascinating about rejection. Okay, I think when we start to apply this in our lives, you see this trajectory, and, and you see this spectrum that, that rejection falls on, and you probably fall on one side or the other. On one side, it leads to an extreme insecurity and a, and a feeling of insignificance. We, we sense rejection in our lives, we feel that rejection. Maybe we're, we're told over and over again that we're not good enough. And we start to believe all those words that are said to us. And we get to a place of just paralyzation, right? Whatever little bit of acceptance we have in this world, we're so deathly afraid of losing it that we become unable to even boldly move, even when God speaks, even when God shows us what step to take. Because of our insecurity and our insignificance and us believing that we aren't good enough and that we're not smart enough, it's so hard for us to take that move. So that's one side. And that may be you today. On the other side of this spectrum, you have this group of people that win at every cost. It's me. You're always focused on the next win. The trophy means acceptance. You will not stop until you're the best. But who says you're the best? Right? Everything about what you've learned in this life tells you that a win equals acceptance. But here's what I've found. Acceptance found from effort is always temporary. And it's fleeting. And so you see, the ultimate goal is not found at either end of this spectrum. It requires a complete shift in our thinking a complete understanding that we are truly accepted and we begin to live from that acceptance instead of for it. We stop believing what everyone else is saying to us about how we're not good enough. We stop trying to win in every single way. And we stop telling ourselves that perfection equals love and acceptance because that's a race that never ends. And you know what happens when you start to live from acceptance instead of for it? you start to look a lot like David. Actually, you start to look a lot like Jesus. Because remember, the foundation of all of this story is built upon is that you are not the hero. Jesus was. You don't throw the stones. Jesus did. No matter what your giant is, 
as you're battling and that giant rears its head, maybe it's lurking back there in the shadows and you know it's always there and you know it's coming after and you know the temptation that will bring it to the front and to the and, and to light. And when you start living from acceptance instead of for it and you look more like Jesus, you stop sharing your past rejections with others around you. You stop wrecking your life or your marriage or your family. It's taken me 10 plus years, a lifetime to even begin to understand this. So I don't stand up here an expert. I stand up here as someone that's walked this battle. I have fought this giant more times in my life. I've, I fought this giant seven times this week, maybe four times this morning. Because when you get up on this stage, you can do a lot of this for the acceptance of you all. But God often reminds me that it's an audience of one. So church, I want you to understand the freedom that comes in a church that knows where its acceptance comes from, where its acceptance lies. And when you truly understand what it means to be fully and completely living from that acceptance of Jesus, then your sin and your junk and your worst moments in your life begin to be transformed and begin to be redeemed. And it honestly changes everything. Let's pray. God, I know that me and probably every single person that walked in this room today with heavy hearts about what is happening in our world, what is happening in our city. God, and we have a lot of questions for you. And God, we, we have this giant of rejection that is lurking in the shadows of our lives. And God, my prayer today is that we will slay that giant. And how do we do that? By trusting in your son. And so, God, if there's someone in this room right now who doesn't know who your son is or doesn't know what that means and has never been in the waters of baptism, God, I pray that if that's the decision that needs, if that's the starting point, then God, may that be today. May they not walk out of here having, without having that conversation. God, maybe there's some in the room that have walked with you and have walked with this rejection in their lives for a lifetime. And they've never understood what it means to truly live from an acceptance that comes from Jesus and from your son. And God, I pray that changes today. God, because I truly believe it's what you just kept telling me ever since Friday morning and I woke up to that news. Is that God, a, a world that is freed from their rejection doesn't do things like what happened on Thursday evening because they know where their hope comes from and they know where their worth comes from and they understand that they are worth Jesus to you. 
God, move in this place, move in our hearts. Shake us if you need to. It's your name we pray, amen. Church, I'm gonna ask that you just stand right now where you are. We're gonna, we're gonna sing a song about our battles. We're gonna sing a song about when we're surrounded and how God fights for us. And I would pray right now as we sing, if there's, if there's that giant of rejection is chasing after you, God, I, guys, I pray, just leave that in the room today. Do business with God, let the spirit move, and let's worship our King.